0: This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. With more than 150 fellowship trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs, IBJI is your choice for patient focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com.
1: Howdy, folks, and welcome to the latest episode of the Varsity Podcast, the podcast where we discuss everything involving North Shore high school sports. I'm Michael Dwojek here with the record North Shore founding members Joe Coglin and Martin Carlino as we welcome you to a new year, 2021, our first episode of the new new calendar year. Uh, Just a quick reminder before we get things started that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure you guys are subscribing, leaving nice notes, and listening to past episodes of The Varsity as well. Um, they might be from 2020, but they're still pretty good podcasts, so make sure you guys are listening to those and just seeing what we had to say um, about different issues throughout the year. But um, we're going to start the new year talking about some of the same old things by uh, starting off in the first period by talking about the IHSA and the lack of news, which uh, has become a reoccurring subject in uh, the podcast here at this point. In the second period, we'll uh, hear from Northwestern football player, Nutria alum, Duke Olgus, as he I uh, had the chance to catch up with him and talk about um, what it was like to deal with a pandemic uh, crazy season. Uh, so I talked to him, and then we'll talk about that story a little bit in the second period. And in the third period, we'll talk about Loyola Academy, getting a new football field turf. And they also have two new turfs uh, coming their way on the MUNS campus. So we'll look into that. Joe caught up with uh, Loyola about all of that. So why don't we get things started in uh, the first period by uh, basically us doing the same stuff we've been doing in 2020 in the new year by basically saying that there is no news uh, between the IHSA and the IDPH. as of right now, there's uh, no meetings to be held between the IHSA and Governor Pritzker and the IDPH. Uh, the IHSA board will be meeting on January 13th. So that's likely the next time we'll be hearing anything from the IHSA. Um, on their website, they had an announcement saying that on, on January, as of January 4th, um, that sports are just not happening because Illinois is still in tier three mitigation. Uh, So you can't have any sports happening at that point. So um, it's more of the same in the new year at this point. I know when we're recording this, we're only five days into the new year. But um, I'm sure some of you were dreaming that once the ball dropped, that uh, things would be different around here. But unfortunately, uh, Joe and Marty, things are uh, pretty much the same uh, frustrating way between the IHSA and the state office.
2: Yeah, new year, new us, uh, probably not same uh, same topic of conversation that we've had for the past uh, several weeks and deservedly so because uh, we're starting to uh, starting to kick the can a little too far down the road here, in my opinion. I mean, we've we've kicked it so many times. How many more times can we kick it before a decision has to be made and, uh, and plans have to be, be made? Um, that's the question we're going to have to start to answer. Um, I don't think we have too many kicks left in us, and I think we're starting to see a lot more Calls to action from coaches, players, um, people involved in athletics, sort of just asking for guidance, asking, you know, we're seven, eight weeks away from the start of these seasons now, and we still don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to prepare at all. We, we don't even know how to begin to plan. So it's, uh, it seems like we're coming up to the fork in the road moment here.
0: Yeah. And it's appropriate, Michael, that you mentioned the, uh, the dropping of the ball. That was an appropriate <laughs> for, for the new year, but yeah, we don't have much news to report this week. We, you know, we said last week that it was, uh, there was no meeting with the state. So it's going to be January 13th. We'll see if we get something new. That's next Wednesday. So maybe we'll have some new news on the podcast. Emergency
2: episode of the podcast. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll have to get it <laughs> up after we hear, it, but, uh, like you said, Marty, we're getting to that boiling point here. Um, we got 20-some sports to fit in, and uh, January is going to be gone by the time they started. So what, in about five months? Um, you know, I talked a little bit, too. We did a story on um, Loyola's new turf, so I so I caught up with their football coach, John Halsek. We talked a bit about it, um, you know, how they're feeling, and he said, you know, it's very difficult. They can't get together at all. They got to do a lot of things virtually, which isn't really – Effective, you know, all you can do is try to keep morale up and motivation up um, until you you get there. Until you get some guidance on when you can get, you know, they can't even do weight training together because that's, you know, you know their program. Um, they'd have to have like seven different weight rooms to fit all their kids, and um, uh, to stay with safety regulations. So, but you know, I guess the positive news and something I've heard from a couple coaches is, you know, since they all want to play, obviously they have a strong desire um, that they'll be ready to go, you know, in a short period of time. And they'll be, I don't know about okay with it, but they'll be ready. And so it might only take them on a football program. I know usually they have much more time, but you know, a couple weeks, a week of, uh, you know, a couple days, a few days for tryouts or whatever, and then a week of practice. Um, and then you got your first game and they might be able to pull that off for multiple sports if they have to. So, um, I think they've come to that realization and that's a uh, that's a positive sign that they'll be raring to go. Um, he was, he mentioned he's pretty concerned about the basketball season, too. If they want to fit that in in the winter, how's basketball going to play in February? And football is supposed to start at the end of February to major sports um, with um, shared players, sh- even shared coaches, shared facilities at times, especially in the winter. Uh, th- that's a big concern, he said, uh, of his. He just doesn't, he seemed, uh, Kind of, you know, I just did a shrug of the shoulders. What? How are we going to do this? Which is, I think, what a lot of people are thinking. Shrug emoji. We'll be shrug emoji. We'll be closer to some sort of an answer next Wednesday. We're hoping.
1: Yeah, it just feels like we're beating a dead horse here, and I, I I feel like um, it's annoying to our listeners and that kind of stuff. And obviously, we don't want to be constantly talking about the same thing, but it is frustrating because I know a lot of coaches and players out there are as frustrated as we are, and. I think the biggest thing at this point is all we can say is um, where is the plan at this point? I mean, we've been on this point for the last two or three weeks, but like, there's no plan. I mean, maybe there is a plan and we don't know about a plan, but it's just like how, what, what are athletes and coaches supposed to do when um, the IHSA can't even meet with the governor's office, the IDPH? I mean, um, there doesn't seem to really be a plan of, trying to mitigate and how do do you get a basketball season in while you're trying to get a football season in. And we've, I mean, we've gone all over this and if you guys want to listen to our usual rants, just listen to old episodes of the podcast at this point. It's just, it's frustrating because you want to start the new year on a positive note. Um, You want to believe that you're moving in the right direction, obviously with the vaccines and things are really changing for the better. And we're hopefully getting a relatively bit closer to, um, getting back to normal, at least a uh, relative normal. And it's just fr- frustrating to read and frustrating to see that meetings are being canceled and, um, there's no plan. And one side is just blaming the other. And just, it's, it's just, uh, for these kids, I can't even imagine. It's like, you're always told and you're always expected to like, listen to adults and like, listen to what the adults are saying and the adults aren't saying anything and they're not leading. So, um, I can't even imagine the frustration um, that these kids are going through. I mean, all they want to do is play. We've seen in the fall just how dedicated they are to making sure that it happens. So um, I don't know guys, it's just frustrating. It's annoying. And I know you guys don't like saying the same thing over and over again. I'm sure I'm, both of you are tired of going off the point of saying this is ridiculous, but um, at some point in the new year, you need to make some changes and IHSA probably should have made some resolutions about trying to figure out what to do in this new year.
2: Yeah. Really well said, Michael. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, it's time. It's time for, to put it, uh, to put it as brief as possible. It's time.
0: Yep. To keep it brief.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's,
1: that's all we're going to talk about at this point. I mean, there's only so much we can talk about without going in circles about um, what isn't happening and we obviously want things to happen because obviously we want to talk about sports on the on the varsity podcast. As crazy as that might seem, um, but we want things to get better. We want kids to go out there safely. Um, so we'll just keep you guys posted. Maybe there will be an emergency episode of the podcast once uh, the board meets and gives us any hint at what's going on. Who knows? Maybe there'll be some white smoke coming out of the IHSA office in Bloomington, and <laughs> we can see uh, what that means. Really, but. On that point, we'll move on over now to the second period of the podcast. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we'll start off this period by hearing from new alumnus Duke Olgus. I had the pleasure of talking to him and catching up with him. And for a story that I'm working on for, I worked on about uh, what it was like to play collegiate football during the global pandemic, all the different things that they had to go through and that kind of stuff. Duke was really good um, on hitting on a lot of different things. So, Um, we'll start off this period by uh, having Duke talk about what it was like the commitment it took to uh, pull a season off like this and all just the craziness that came along with uh, just having to adjust to a crazy season um, that was this past college football season
3: yeah it's it's been a wild ride for sure Um, I think the biggest part of the season that's Kind of been different is all the protocols that we've had to follow and kind of just all the uncertainty um, that we've had to deal with throughout the year. Whether that's um, other teams getting canceled, games getting rescheduled, um, things among that nature that have always kind of just kept us on our toes throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when we were first coming back um, from the summer after getting sent home in the spring, you know, we were all thought we all thought we kind of had it figured out that we were going to play. Then the big Ten came out and canceled and then reinstated. And so kind of just from that point on, we've always kind of had to adjust and um, improvise and overcome obstacles just throughout the year, whether that's um, teams in our conference dealing with COVID, um, getting getting games rescheduled, and um, even like in the big 10 championship game when they are constantly changing rules. So then, that we ended up having to play Ohio State. Um, so it was just kind of used to it – it was a very interesting year to get used to all the changes that normally don't occur. Um, so take me through what
4: a, a typical week uh, just looks like with this kind of stuff. I mean, um, I know you guys had testing, and obviously I'm sure you guys adjusted uh, team meetings and that kind of stuff in practices. So just take me through like what a, a typical uh, week during the season looked like.
3: Yeah, so um, not super different than a normal year uh, aside from the whole testing and just following COVID protocols. But, um, you know, Monday uh, we come in for corrections from our game on Saturday, kind of yeah. fix what we need to uh, fix, um, you know, get prepared for who we're playing on the next week. Tuesday is kind of our heavy install day, um, really prepare and install our kind of game plan for what we're going to do the upcoming week. Um, Wednesday is kind of refining that game plan, making sure that we're knowing what we're doing. Um, and same thing on Thursday. Uh, and basically we just kind of have the same schedule in terms of meetings and practice as kind of any other year. Um, just the only issues are food in the morning. Everybody's trying to get up and, uh, get some breakfast in the morning, but we all have to stay in line, social distance, um spread out and and uh, stay apart from each other which is why we've been so good and um keeping each other safe and being able to play all of our games but um it is one thing that we have to get there a few minutes earlier in the mornings to make sure that we get our covid test and then also um have to uh follow all those protocols and still have time to make its meetings on time. Yeah.
4: Um and then with that, I mean what what is it, what is game day kind of feel like this year? I mean obviously I'm sure um the whole no fans in the stands was weird and uh, all that kind of stuff and uh, everything. So just take, what was, what was game day like? Just uh, uh, a typical game day in a weird year like this.
3: Yeah. So game day was very interesting and completely different than any other year, especially um, playing on the road and playing at home, not having anybody either supporting or against you. So going on the road, it was a lot different when it was just quiet and, Um, we're playing in Connect Stadium and nobody's there and you can hear all the huddle calls and um, from even the sideline. Uh, So it was definitely weird to get used to, but I think a really, uh, a thing that we did on our team that was um, a really big factor to our success is we came in and we kind of played the role as the fans, as the sideline, um, which, uh, which really helped us kind of get momentum and, maintain energy throughout the game. So um, on game day, yeah, we would just kind of go through the routine kind of like any other year, just except following the protocols, wearing masks, and just kind of being distant in our lockers and all the stuff like that. It wasn't too absurdly different, but just that big, the biggest thing was, like you said, no fans being there. So um, our emphasis was uh, just bringing our own juice and um, bringing energy to the game because we didn't have fans to do it for us there, so... Um, that was kind of one of the biggest factors that kind of led to our success throughout the year.
4: Yeah, you mentioned bringing that juice. I mean, was it hard to get up for a game um, without fans? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure a typical game day, like you see the fans outside tailgating and and you, you just kind of get revved up by just you know going through the usual game day. Was it hard this year? I mean, without the typical stuff, or like did you or like did you guys uh, just work to make sure that you guys were hyping each other up and getting ready for a uh, game?
3: Yeah, it was definitely different. Um, like you said, the atmosphere is just kind of weird when you walk into the building and you're not swarmed with uh, people are walking down the mobcat way with everybody cheering at you and um, screaming and, and going crazy and purple. But um, we, we kind of just kept it going throughout the week, and then it kind of just built on each other and um, kind of just had a snowball effect. So when we played Maryland, we came out, um, and we had two great weeks of prep. Uh, for Maryland since our kind of last week of camp. We started early preparing for Maryland and um, every day in practice, it's Fitz would say, hey, you, everybody's well aware there's not going to be any stands there and whosoever sideline is going to have the most energy is, is going to play a big factor in who wins the game. So every day yeah. in practice, act like it was the game. If you weren't on the field, you're out on the sideline cheering and hooting and hollering and trying to distract the offense or the defense and Kind of getting each other's heads and um, just kind of have some in-team rivalries and uh, competition going, and then doing that throughout the week, and then coming together on Saturday kind of helped us continue to bring that juice. Um, but just it, honestly, it kind of starts in practice. So we were doing it all week, and it was easy to take it to the game.
4: Was it a uh, was it tough? You mentioned uh, um, just. Obviously, you have your usual schedule. You know, testing practices, meetings, all that kind of school. Obviously, um, but was it tough? Like, really not being able to see like other people than uh, than your teammates. I mean, was that part tough? Where um, you really just went to your apartment and just try to stay secluded as possible to make sure, obviously, that you didn't get exposed. Yeah,
3: it, it, it was just tough, kind of being on the same repetitive schedule every day. Um, yeah a lot of guys kind of got frustrated and tired with that, but um, obviously we all knew that that was how it had to be for the period of time that we were in for the season, and um, we all just really had to lock in and get through it, and knowing that the guy to your left and your right and everybody else who you're living with is going through the same thing um, kind of helps and and makes it a little bit better, but, um, you know, we would try to find things to do to keep us busy, and um, kind of keep us focused. So we would kind of all watch movies or watch TV shows together, play board games or stuff like that to kind of keep our mind off of it. But yeah, it was definitely tough to just kind of be locked up inside and um, continue to be safe. So uh, just kind of our support from our team and and all that really helped us get through that.
4: What was uh What was traveling like? I mean, I know I know you guys obviously probably didn't. Uh, go anywhere uh, when you guys got to your location in hotel rooms. I mean, just take me through what what was traveling like and how different was it compared to what you guys were used to.
3: So, if I could say one positive thing about this whole COVID season, it would be the traveling aspect. We had to stay really? it had to be we had to be six feet away, so we each got our own seats in the bus. We didn't have to share hotel rooms, um, so you didn't have to worry about getting the guy who snored all night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Guys were getting king beds. Um, so, it, honestly, the travel part was one of the upsides, and people are, are not looking forward to to go back um, to normal next year because we just had so much space on the bus, and we were taking extra buses in order to follow po- protocols, and um, everybody had their own seats. And then, yeah, like I said, guys didn't have to share hotel rooms, and people weren't getting partnered up with guys who were just snoring and paying off the ceiling all night. So that was actually one positive thing um, that I think myself and a lot of other guys enjoyed. But, um, yeah, I mean, when we would get to the hotel, it's kind of the same stuff. Um, in any other given year, you, you kind of get in, check in, go, um, go to your room and just kind of lock in and prepare for game day. So there wasn't really too much exploring and seeing around, um, regardless, but, uh, those, those few perks of kind of having your own know, seats and hotel rooms were kind of nice.
4: Yeah. Um, so what, given everything that's going on in the season, I know obviously you guys still have one more game to play, but um, what would what would you say was the toughest part of all this? I mean, if you had to choose one thing, and I'm sure uh, there are a lot of tough moments and a lot of tough things to give up, but if you had to give, uh, say, one thing that was the toughest thing throughout this whole experience and season, uh, what would you say it was?
3: That's a good question. Um The toughest thing would probably um it would probably be just kind of um I would I would say not necessarily like um having to be I, I would say I guess just having to be isolated from everybody else. Um uh-huh. staying away from your families, um when they came in the in the games, um, not being able to see your friends on other teams um or even friends that are just um in your classes or regular students um i would say that was definitely the hardest part um because when my mom and dad come to the game obviously i want to go see them after the game yeah give them hugs go out to eat with them but um you can't do that this year so um that was definitely the hardest part, and just not being able to go out and like like now being able to go out and support the men's basketball team or the women's basketball team, who are also doing so great this year. Um, I would just say that yeah, having to stay isolated and um, keeping to ourselves was definitely the hardest part of this year.
4: Yeah, um, I don't know if this will be the same answer, but um, five years from now, ten years from now, I mean, what 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 are you going to remember from this experience, and what are you going to remember the most? Um, about just what this uh,
3: crazy season has been like. Uh, how special this team was. I, I, I can't believe how how special this team was. Going from from being three and nine last year to to making another run to the Big Ten Championship and now playing Auburn in the Citrus Bowl. I mean, um, just how bonded our guys were this year, and how relentless everybody was and yeah. safe with protocols and just grinding throughout practice and. Um, Taking whatever was thrown at this, this thrown at us this year, and just adapting to the best of our uh, possible, adapting to it as best as possible, and just kind of taking it and running with it. Um, so I would definitely say that just our leadership and our camaraderie and our brotherhood on this team was just be was just second to none, um, and I don't think that anybody else in the country was doing it as well as us. So um, I think that for sure when i look back at this year just how special how connected and and unified we are towards we were towards one goal
1: thanks so much uh duke for joining us uh this week always a good to get insight from players and coaches so uh kind of hemming off of his point and what he was able to say uh make sure you guys uh check out the story it's on the record uh website but um it was interesting to just catch up with players and just see um what it was like, because I know we've been talking about high school football and talking about like what it's going to take and all that kind of stuff. But we've been seeing what it's been uh, like for collegiate football players to go through it this year. And we had um, Duke Olgas at Northwestern. We had Max Rosenthal at Michigan State. Now he's transferring out. Uh, We had Jake Marwiti at uh, Duke and uh, we had uh, Zap at Illinois as well. Um, so I caught up with four players and they talked about how um, all of them wanted to play, all of them wanted to uh, commit to playing a football season, but they also knew that they needed to commit to playing a football season. So um, whether that meant not seeing people, uh, make sure you social distancing and that kind of stuff. And it, things were just different about the usual practice schedule. I mean, obviously they had to be tested every single day and they talked, and uh, a lot of the guys talked about, practice being the same, but practice also being different. Cause you had a social distance and, uh, Jake talked about a Duke, how they had like two separate weight rooms and two separate locker rooms. And, um, traveling was fun because every guy got his own room and didn't have to deal with their roommate snoring and that kind of stuff. So that stuff, there was some good in that and all, but it was just so interesting to uh, see what these players really had to go through and what these players, uh, had to experience to go through it. And, um, I'm sure you guys are uh would agree that um it took a lot of commitment and it took a lot of uh it just took a lot of uh, camaraderie to be able to pull off a season like this together where uh Duke mentioned Northwestern was able to um go six and one in a season and then uh play Ohio State and then go in citrus bowl. And um there's a lot of cool stuff that came out of it, so make sure you guys check it out in the story. But um a lot of commitment from these players uh to be able to play, and I know you guys uh agree that. Um, it takes a lot of uh, willpower to be able to go through a season like that.
2: Yeah, just uh, just a tremendous story, Michael. So first off, I want to encourage all of our listeners to um, to check that story out if they have a chance because it was really well done, and there's a lot of great insights in there. Uh, but but specifically related to your to your point, Michael, I think two of the things that really stuck out to me um, was first you you had a, a couple paragraphs in there talking about how players had to often prepare for not knowing for sure if they were even going to be able to play um, on the weekend. And then if they were able to play, not knowing if the team they were going to face was going to be able to play. And if they were going to end up facing someone else, I mean, that just, just really stuck out to me because you you see it at the high school level, let alone the collegiate level, obviously a huge part of football is game planning and preparing for your opponent and how you think you can best try to beat that opponent. So to potentially have the chance where you'd be facing someone you weren't expecting a week or two sooner or a week or two later, or not even playing a game you prepared a week or several weeks to play is just, you know, I, I can't even imagine the challenges of preparing for that. And, and you, you prefaced it a little bit earlier in your comments, Michael, but just, I think you had a couple sentences in there about how players weren't even able to see their family after a game. And, you know, that's such a tradition to me of a football uh in the high school level as well, but, but collegiately as well, as well, I imagine. Um, but you just, you just remember while you're waiting to get on the field to do some interviews, you you see the parents lined up on the fence and players running over to their parents and talking about the game and, and checking in with them and to not even be able to do something like that. It, it must've just been a, a huge adjustment and a, a huge, huge part that a huge difference in the football um experience that they're probably have been used to for for dozens of years
0: yeah and i think that's that's a big um sticking point for me was the that they're used to a certain way you know you grow up and they kind of guide you you know if they're doing it right they they prepare you for what's the next level if you want to and if you are talented enough to play at the last next level what's gonna happen there and then what's gonna happen at the next level and potentially if you keep moving up and then to get there and it's all completely different. Um, I think that um, was an interesting point, compelling point to me as I read through your story, Michael, um, especially to hear it from um, four different um, football players from four different universities and, and different conferences um, for the most part um, was was super interesting to me. Um, the thing, That, you know, other than that thing that I took away, especially part of the kind of the procedure of uh, the the back end of football or the behind the scenes is the camaraderie piece that you get while you're training and while you're working out and while, you know, group huddles before practice, after practice, positional meetings all together, you know, you know, in the same room and then all together as a team, you know, none of that could happen um, in a normal sense. And um, to think about you know, not weight training. I think we've all played competitive sports before, been on teams um, and, you know, from bus rides to um, weight training and, and just not just actually going through um, the motions of weight training, but um, socializing with with your teammates um, for stuff on and off the field um, is a huge part of the camaraderie and builds um, continuity with your team. It does so much for a team. So to be without that, uh, it's so I can't even imagine. So this story gave you an inside look at what these guys had to deal with and what they say about it. Um, I think that's kind of a um, a priceless piece to a story like this, as we get to see um, what it is and young athletes should read this just to see how these guys persevered through, um, as we mentioned, unprecedented, but also something we probably won't see again. Um, Hopefully. Um, So very cool stuff. And uh, you know, you know, they're, they're, positivity also show, showed through um, through this all and they have every right not to be or at least at least be um, not negative but uh, realistic about everything but they're very optimistic which was cool uh, to read as well.
2: Yeah great points Joe and you think about something even as simple as like a team dinner before uh, before a game on, right. on Saturday where you would normally have the entire team sort of meet in one place and everybody eat the same meal and share plates and all that stuff and not even something like that could happen. And I know that's a huge part of the football experience for many programs.
1: Yeah. I think that was the biggest uh, thing where obviously you go through a football season, you go through the physical pains, you go through injuries and that kind of stuff. And um, obviously with this, you also run the risk of maybe catching the coronavirus and not knowing how it's going to catch, how it's going to affect you. But I think the biggest thing was just like the loneliness aspect of where, like you guys mentioned, not being able to see parents, not able to, um, hang out with teammates in the locker room after a practice or just like talk to each other for a while I remember having to like limit your just go to the apartment and play video games or limit your opportunities to like go out there and see people and that kind of stuff I mean that that has to be the hardest part just all these guys not being able to see their family and I mean from the beginning of the season until the end of the season you couldn't see family members you couldn't hug family members. You really couldn't hug anyone outside of like your bubble or anything like that. And, um, I, I couldn't imagine having to go through that process. And I know a lot of collegiate athletes, um, are going to go through that process now, whether that's basketball or all the sports that are hopefully going to get started soon. But, um, the, the loneliness really was the really interesting thing to me. Um, just what you have to go through mentally of not only like having to prepare for a game mentally and all that kind of stuff, but also mentally um, for being on a team, you're still pretty alone and that's uh, a pretty tough thing to go through. So um, make sure you guys uh, check that part out. And one thing I did want to point out is um, every player that I talked to talked about, gave credit to their respective team and university for um, making sure that they're, um, as safe as possible and the protocols that the schools put in place to make sure that the athletes were as safe as possible. So kudos to them. Uh, Jake uh, Marini mentioned that um, the ACC only like required you to be tested two or three times a week. Um, Duke did it every single day. Uh, the big Ten required every single day. so obviously Northwestern and Illinois and Michigan State did that. Um, but kudos to the teams. Um, for being able to uh, pull it off. I know there are cancellations throughout the year, um, but relatively it seems like the season was able to go off without a hitch. Um, And that speaks a lot to the dedication from the players and the coaches, um, but also from the conferences as well. So uh, shameless plug, make sure you guys go check it out. Check out the story on uh, the website. Um, Let us know what you think about it as well, but uh, let's move on over to the third period. But before I do that, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a quick thanks to our sponsor, the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. They have many locations in the Chicago area. So make sure you check them out, move better, live better. All right, we're going to end things off here in the third period with Joe uh, talking about his turf story that he wrote. Um, Loyola got a new turf that they haven't been able to use, unfortunately, because there's no football season. But um, I remember when I was a freshman at Loyola, I think the turf was like a year old or like maybe just brand new. So this story makes me feel old that Loyola is getting a new turf and it's been 10 years since. But um, Joe, why why don't you tell us what it means to get a new turf and what is so special about this new uh, football field at Loyola?
0: Yeah, sure. And, you know, the first thing, um, you know, that, that we discovered and then we reported on with this new turf was that, uh, you know, after about a decade of use, you know, these new turfs, that so many schools installed within the past, you know, 15, 20 years, after about 10 pushing it at 12 um, they've about um, expired their usage um, uh, for quality surfaces. So, um, and that's because I'm going to, I'm going to get so technical here, guys, I'm going to blow your minds with everything I learned about field turf, <laughs> but um, obviously, you know, you know, you, you have the new field turf, not like the old school AstroTurf where it's just really like uh, rug burning low level, not even, uh, but you know, really, really harsh, um, fake grass. Um, this is, you know, higher grass, artificial grass, but it has rubber infill those little rubber pellets that we see for watching NFL Sunday, you see receivers kick them up all the time, but uh, over time those little rubber pellets flatten, and there's millions of them all over the field. So they flatten out. They also move around. So it's not consistent. So you have different spots of the field that are really hard. Um, um, and if you tackle down there fall on there, the concussion rates go up. And they've they've developed a um, a unit of measurement called the Gmax that measures the hardness of a field. So anything over um, approaching two hundred is dangerous, and anything over 260, kind of the amount of uh, concussion, the rate of concussions go up drastically. So they want to keep it under that. With Loyola's new turf field, um, they John Stutz, who's the uh, who's the director of facilities over there, athletic facilities. Um, he, he went a, a slight extra mile and, and got the shock pad to go under the turf. So we have the turf, we have the rubber infill, and we got a shock pad under it. Um, he said that pretty much guarantees that G max will never be over one hundred and sixty for the lifetime of it. Um, which in the lifetime will be about eight to 10 years. So, um, with the extra mile with that, they completely replaced, um, they got the highest grade, um, Face weight for the turf, for the actual turf. So that's kind of like a high density, um, which is the safest to play on the softest. It's uh, 52 face weight, um, which doesn't mean anything at all to you or me, but it is the level used at the professional level. So pretty much what the Dallas Cowboys use, the uh, Loyal Academy Ramblers are now using um, <laughs> on their field. So um, it costs about to replace the turf at Horster Field um, in Wilmette. It costs about $630,000 um, which is, um, you know, kind of less than a brand new facility, which includes drainage and everything. And luckily they didn't have any, um, major problems with the infrastructure under the field. So they just uh, replaced it. Um, most of that, if not all of that is coming from donations from their, um, from their boosters, from their supporters. Um, and now they're on to phase two, which is replacing two turf fields up at Munns campus. Um, so they've, At Horster Field in Wilmette, they play football. Um, They do track and field meets, um, but that's really it. Um, They might practice other sports and do some gym class, of course. Um, But it's over at Munn's campus where they do the lacrosse. They do the soccer and uh, they do the soccer. (laughs) They play lacrosse and soccer (laughs) and um, field hockey as well. So they got a few fields over there. They're replacing two of them with this new field turf, this high quality stuff. Um, It's two fields with the shock pad. So that's also going to be a little over six hundred and sixty thousand for a total all in of one point two million. They are currently engaged in more fundraising uh, to fund that second part um up at Munn's campus, which isn't installed yet. They kinda had to take a pause because um, of the COVID um, pandemic and all the uh the consequences there. So that's the next step. But really we just have a softer field. Talk to um Hollisek as I mentioned, the loyal football coach. He said it's very noticeable. Um you could tell the old the old stuff was uh was getting pretty difficult to play on, um especially in certain parts of the field. So they're happy with it. It's good to go. Um, just, it's just sitting there. It's waiting, um, for the new season to start. So whenever it does, they'll have a soft playing field to go with.
1: Looking, uh, looking at the turf, you see a photo of it with the story and I'm glad that they went with the thin, uh, script for the end zones. I'm not a big fan of the, you know, the fat script. Um, so I was pretty happy to see that it was all, uh, it seemed like more of a traditional thing. I think it's pretty similar to what it was before, but, um yeah it is really it's interesting pretty, to
0: see Michael. um sorry it's funny that you mentioned uh, the the paint job and and the script uh, that they went with um John studs the facilities director said that was probably the most difficult part of the process was matching the school <laughs> colors exactly he said uh, the direction was to match them precisely and that was probably the most uh, difficult aspect of putting it all together
1: yeah definitely It's uh, really interesting to see. Um, Joe, uh, do they say when the MUNS campus stuff is going to happen, or is it just too hard to see with, obviously, coronavirus in the winter at this point?
0: Yeah, I think with the winter at this point, they're hoping um, as soon as the weather brightens up a bit. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to wait for the fundraising to complete, but they'd like it to at least get initiated and feel confident about what they're at, where they're at, um, to kind of continue the construction. Really uh, fun stuff. I mean, anyone
1: who's been to a, a Horster Field knows that that's pretty much a perfect uh, location if you're going to watch football on the Saturday afternoon. So uh, for them to get the new turf obviously will be uh, very helpful and very nice. Uh, maybe they can add the video board like I suggested uh, last uh, week in uh, in our last episode of the podcast, but
2: um, that'll take some more fundraising, I'm sure. If they're uh, trying to to, uh, to mirror the Dallas Cowboys, then yeah, maybe they can get uh, a portion of their scoreboard from Jerry Jones or yeah.
1: <laughs> they should just do a dome at this point so you can have uh, the facility open all year long and get you. Cause I remember when they would play uh, for state championships that so they, you may, I mean, obviously you can't practice because of light and that kind of stuff. So they would go to Hallis hall and like practice there sometimes, but a dome would probably be
0: beneficial there, but I don't know uh, if that's on the agenda for the Ramblers at this point. Maybe a retractable roof. I mean, once you raise one million, what's the what's raising one billion? It's only like nine hundred and ninety nine. <laughs> <Right. laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, with a team, a that couple keeps more on winning, I mean, the, yeah, the money just keeps on coming in every year. But uh, yeah, really interesting story. Joe really gets into the nitty gritty stuff. So make sure you guys check out and learn about uh, turf because I'm sure most of you, like me, just thought there are pellets in there and it's just is nice and you don't have to water it and that kind of stuff, but uh, make sure you guys are checking out Joe's story and uh, check out uh, all the fun details and all the uh, fun stuff that comes into uh, making a new turf. But that is everything that we have uh, for this week's episode of the podcast started off the year, started off the new year with some negativity as always, but then we brightened things up and uh, as always kind of gave some fun insight as you went through A quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available, Apple iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever have you. Just make sure you guys are listening to this episode and all our episodes. Uh, Make sure you spread the word as well, uh, whether it's through social media or whether you're talking to your neighbor over the fence and just say, hey, have you listened to this podcast? Uh, We love uh, and appreciate all the fun support we get from all of you. So, for Joe and Marty, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we will talk to you guys down the road.
0: Thank you for listening to the Varsity, uh, product of the record dot your nonprofit local newsroom. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute with more than 150 fellowship trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty Mm -hmm. and dozens of locations across Mm -hmm. Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com.